Djibouti, a parched and barren republic on the southern edge of the Gulf of Aden, is said to be one of the hottest places on earth. I could well believe it on the day in May 1959, when my husband Reg and I, and our son Richard, aged six, sat in a squalid little cafe on the edge of the desert, waiting for the plane that would take us to Addis Ababa in neighbouring Ethiopia. Reg and I were both doctors, specialising in obstetrics and gynaecology. In Australia, we had answered an advertisement in the British medical journal, The Lancet, which read, Gynaecologist wanted to set up a school of midwifery for nurses in the Princess Tsehai Memorial Hospital in Addis Ababa. As we were keen to work for a few years in a country short of doctors, we thought this was the opportunity we had been waiting for. Reg enjoyed teaching, and his great interest was obstetrics. We applied and were accepted. The contract was for three years. We did not know then that we were embarking upon our life's work. Facing a two-hour wait, we'd considered taking a taxi to see the town, but the thought of dragging around in that furnace was too daunting, so we elected to stay where we were. I can still remember the baking concrete veranda with a few tables scattered about, the flies buzzing around the stale food which no one had bothered to remove, and above all the unbearable heat. We sat in the meagre shade of some spindly trees, loud French music blaring from the radio, and surveyed our fellow travellers. The most striking of these was a beautiful Frenchwoman, there with her husband. She was tall, dark-haired and well-dressed, with a large picture hat. Her every gesture was elegant. She did not so much walk as glide. Despite the heat, the flies and our squalid surroundings, she was perfectly composed. At another table was a sad-looking Japanese man carrying his only luggage, a paper bag, and near him a Frenchman sitting alone. Reg, who was never shy, tried to engage him with his schoolboy French, but he gave a garlic shrug and spread his hands wide, as if to say it was really too hot to make the effort. At that time, forty years ago, Djibouti was administered by the French. The French proprietor of the café, a slovenly-looking woman with peroxide hair wearing a red sack dress, kept popping in and out of the kitchen with scraps of food which she fed by hand to three large hounds chained to a tree. They would devour it avidly, and she would go back inside without troubling to wash her hands to prepare food. Some distance away on the tarmac, men were arranging the cargo to be loaded when our plane arrived. Among it was our luggage, clothes, my linen and china, a vacuum cleaner and heaters, a few of Richard's toys and our medical books. This, we hoped, would be enough to get us started in our new home. The rest, we were assured by the Arab agents in Aden, would arrive later by train. After what seemed like an interminable time, an aeroplane appeared in the sky and landed on the dusty airstrip. Two Englishmen climbed stiffly out, looking rather drained, and made their way over to the café. We asked where they had come from. Addis Ababa. That's where we're going. Well, they replied, the best of British luck. This was the worst journey we've ever experienced. 
There was more waiting while the plane was refueled and the luggage loaded. At length, the co-pilot, a casual American, came sauntering over and told us we were ready. We clambered aboard and arranged ourselves on bench seats that ran down either side of the fuselage. Most of the space was occupied by cargo lashed down to the floor. The door slammed, the engines rose to a deafening roar, and the plane commenced to quiver and shake. Outside, a sandstorm obliterated the view from the windows. Slowly, the aircraft trundled forwards, then bumped its way at ever-increasing speed down the runway and into the air. As we banked, we caught our last glimpse of the sea, laid out like an indigo carpet with a scattered design of islands and reefs, before we turned southwest into the Horn of Africa.